It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad that you're with us. We're live. It is Thursday, April 5th, and we're glad you've joined us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. And we hope you'll participate in the program. You do so by calling 931-381-4567. Or you email questions at collegeview.com, and you can be a part of the virtual Bible study tonight. We look forward to your participation, your questions, or your comments. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're looking forward to a really interesting discussion tonight, I think. We want to talk about the religion of Islam. It is in the news on a daily basis. And there are a lot of misconceptions about it. If you listen to the media, you can probably get more confused about Islam than you before you started. We want to talk about uh, the religion of Islam and hopefully uncover what it is all about. Joining us on the program tonight, Andrew Roberts from here in Columbia is here. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Thank you for taking time to be a part of the virtual Bible study tonight. I'm glad to be glad to be here tonight. Thank you for the invitation. Andrew, you've done quite a bit of study. Now, make sure we're using the proper terminology. We're talking about the religion of Islam. That's accurate to say it that way. That is correct. And you've done a good bit of study in that. In fact, uh, you've even authored a book to teach some of the things that Islam proclaims and contrasting that to Christianity. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my interest in Islam began probably when most uh, other Americans' interests did and that was immediately following the September 11th attacks. Uh, at the time, I was working with a congregation up in Indiana in a training capacity, and the thought was, you know, everyone had these questions: What is Islam? What is it about? Well, let's have the uh, let's have the preacher boy do a little work on that and bring us a lesson, tell us what it's about. And it's a study that I kept up with over the years. It turned into a series of sermons, which turned into lectureships, which turned into a book called Night and Day: A Comparative Study of Christianity and Islam. Uh, people can check that out at spiritbuilding.com. Yeah, I was going to give that website because I already had a, an email question from Alan in Indiana, and he'd ask if if any of the material that you have garnered through all the research that you've done is available, and it is, and the book that you've written is available at several outlets, but one place you can find it from the publisher at spiritbuilding, all one word, spiritbuilding.com. So uh, you've uh, you've got some expertise in this uh, that we want to try to draw on, uh, Andrew. And uh, as as you said, and as we understand, there is a good bit of interest, and probably rightfully so. In the modern world, I believe we really need information. We need to be informed as to what what these folks are teaching, what they stand for, and so forth. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges in beginning an investigation of Islam, I guess with any other religion, but particularly with the investigation of Islam, uh, is that uh, there's so much information thrown at us and uh, and in such a, a quick fashion. Uh, again, kind of going back to this September 11th attacks, there was a flood of information about Islam right away. All kinds of uh, media sources and outlets, talk shows, politicians, everyone trying to explain to America what this religion is and, and really try to, uh, I think, calm some fears. 
And while it, uh, you know, the nation needed to um, uh, certainly regroup a little bit and figure out a strategy as far as going forward, my concern uh, now looking back is that actually a lot of misinformation was flooded and fed uh, to people. And, uh, you know, you say something enough times and loud enough, it becomes true. It becomes factual uh, whether or not it is true. Yeah. A lot of people believe it, if you just, as you say, because it's been told so much. Um, before we before we went on the pro, on the era, you were saying something about all these. The, the media is referring to them as radical Muslims, mm-hmm. and you have a, you have a thought about the the nature of radical Islam. What do you think? Well, and, and again, I think this is perhaps one of the things that we've been told again and again and again that would bear some investigation. Uh, the media terminology tends to marginalize and discredit uh, those Muslims that follow a fundamental reading of the Koran. Uh, we look at, um, you know, uh, explosions, violent activities in other parts of the world, and we are concerned about those things repeating around us. And we hear things like radical Islamic fundamentalists and zealots and militants. And, and what it's, it says is that this is a fringe group with very bizarre ways uh, of twisting a religion, of hijacking a religion. Um, but if you go back and just uh, read the Koran and study it for yourself... I think it's hard to come to a conclusion and say these people are just really twisting things. When you come back to the Koran and read it for yourself, it's really more that, uh, that the ones that express their religion in a militant way are being quite faithful, quite obedient uh, to their word. If you believe that uh, the Koran is the word of God, then you're going to follow it. You're going to obey it. And that scripture teaches militants. Yeah, there are people who profess to be Christians who blow up people and blow up buildings and things. But the difference between Christianity and Islam is the people who profess to be Christians who are more mainstream, you would say, they speak out against that. You don't see the Islamic people speaking out in, in as much uh, voice against that as a, a, a radical Christian would get spoken out against. You know, and I think that silence is really alarming. Uh, who are we to believe? Uh, what it gets back to really is the is the scriptures upon which these religions stand. When you see uh, a Christian acting in some militant way and he says he does it in the name of the Lord, you can go back to the scripture and the New Testament and you can say, you know what, you've broken this teaching. You've gone against it. You are contradicting by your actions what the scripture teaches. You can't do that with the Koran. You look at uh, militant expressions and they say they're doing it in the name of Allah. You go to the Koran. Well, it doesn't violate its precepts. It is consistent with its precepts. So the, the argument that, that this is a religion of peace, we, we hear that in the media, that it's a religion of peace and that these radicals are, are as you said, a fringe group. They represent a minority and they, and they are actually perverting the religion of Islam. From your study, that's really not an accurate representation, that, that this is not a religion of peace and that the ones who are doing the bombings and the killings and so forth are actually the fundamentalist, the, the literalist of the, of, the, uh, of the religion. And the ones who would represent themselves as peaceful are not literalists. They don't take the Koran literally. We would refer to them if they were, uh, you know, we, we talk about modernist or liberals in right. Christianity who right. don't take the Bible literally. The so-called peaceful Muslims would be the modernist or liberals among the, the Islamic religion. Is that accurate? I think that would be true, that they are reformers. 
Um, perhaps one of the, the uh, misnomers would be how we're going to use um, use the word the majority. Uh, you know, I I think uh, we'll approach it this way. You know, if I'm a, a Muslim and I'm looking at the Christian world, uh, world of Christendom, you know, and I, I see here's the Pope and here's a Jerry Falwell and here's a Benny Hinn and here's a, a Greg Gwynn, you know, to my eyes, they're all Christians. Do they all believe the same? Do they all practice the same? Absolutely not. There's a lot of variation within the religion. It's the same thing when we approach Islam. You know, it would be wrong to look at my neighbor down the street, uh, you know, who, who is Muslim, and just assume that he's going to hold all the positions of a Wahhabi sect or some um, uh, militant group such as Al-Qaeda or a regime like the Taliban. I wouldn't put that upon them. But my point is... If you'll just pick up and read the Koran for yourself, you'll see that uh, by and large, we, are, we many people are being fed a line that is not being investigated, saying, well, that these this Koran's being twisted all up, and the Hadith the traditions, they're just being twisted and perverted. But I think a common sense reading uh, of the Koran, of the Hadith, bears out a Taliban, bears out Al-Qaeda, bears out these militant expressions. If people would read the Koran in the same way that you and I read the Bible, it will bear a militant expression. Yeah, a while back I picked out some quotes from some from uh, the Koran and some of the other writings of Islam, and you probably got uh, uh, all these quotes and more, uh, Andrew. But uh, some of them that are, are fairly famous have been quoted again and again. The unbelievers among the people of the book, and by that they mean Jews and Christians, the unbelievers among the people of the book and the pagans did not desist from unbelief. They shall burn forever in the fire of hell. They are the vilest of all creatures. When you meet the unbelievers, meaning Christians or Jews, in the battlefield, strike off their heads. Uh, So, you know, there's some of the kind of statements that, taken literally, would require them actually uh, to be physically militant in the promotion of their cause. Well, yeah, take, taken literally. Uh, you you recall just a couple of years ago what was happening to um, American citizens that were being kidnapped by some of these groups, you know, that they were literally having their heads taken off. Yeah. And, and these men are doing it out of faith to what their book teaches. Uh, Ayatollah Khomeini said this, "...those who know nothing of Islam pretend that Islam counsels against war." Those who say this are witless. Islam says, kill all the unbelievers, just as they would kill you. Islam says, kill them, put them to the sword, and scatter their armies. Islam says, kill in the service of Allah. Whatever good there exists is thanks to the sword and the shadow of the sword. People cannot be made obedient except by the sword. The sword is the key of paradise, which can only be opened for holy warriors. Now, he led, uh, you know, an ousting of a more Western sympathetic government to install Sharia law, an Islamic-led state in Iran that more or less exists even today. Yeah. And, and it was a fundamental reading, a back-to-the-Quran reading uh, that brought that about. Yeah, here's another quote. When the sacred months are over, slay the idolaters, the Christians and Jews, wherever you find them, arrest them, besiege them, and lie in ambush everywhere for them. Well, that seems like that's what they're doing. Um, so, you know, the, the, uh, I, I think it's an interesting point that you make, Andrew. And I, and I, I guess, uh, although we we maybe don't like to have to face that reality, that is the reality. That's the kind of religion that Islam is, and and that's what's driving these 
these actions. These people are not truly extremist by by their definition. They're faithful in in pursuing their religious beliefs. You know, I ran across a resource along this line that might be interesting to your listeners. But you can go over to uh, the website YouTube, and there if you uh, search out the words Undercover Mosque, UK, Undercover Islam, uh, BBC4 in Britain uh, did a documentary called Dispatches, a four-part series, which was six months of undercover reporters going into mosques there in Britain and around and just videotaping the preachers, videotaping the sermons. And those guys were preaching in English, and you could hear it from their own mouths. Uh, you know, and, so and, and it's fascinating. It. It yeah, there's no mistaking it. Yeah. And you go to YouTube and, and it's it's posted right there. So it, it's not about cherry picking things. You know, I, uh, and that's always going to be uh, kind of something to work against. Obviously, you know, uh, my background is that I'm a Christian. I'm an outside looking in or an outsider looking in. And, and what would give me the right to do this? Well, when you look at the Bible, uh, there is an underlying principle that it can be understood. In fact, Paul in the book of Ephesians tells Christians that when you read, you may understand. Similar statements are made in the Koran. The idea is that the person should be able to pick it up and read it because it claims to be the truth, the body of revelation from the higher power. And so you need to understand it so that you can obey it, so that you can go to heaven or in the case of Islam, go to paradise. And, and in contrast to that, the religion of Jesus Christ truly is a religion of peace. The Apostle Paul taught in Romans 12, verse 17, beginning, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. And so that's what that's what we're taught. And we, we I think we, in all honesty, would represent Christianity, true Christianity, New Testament Christianity, as a religion of peace. If you have any questions about the Muslim religion, let us know right now. We're going to take a break, and we'd like to hear from you. 931-381-4567 is the number to call. Questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use. We'll continue right after this. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study continues. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're part of it tonight, and we'd like to hear from you at 931-381-4567 or email us questions at collegeview.com. We're studying the religion of Islam, and we are talking with Andrew Roberts about uh, the religion and want to know more about it, and we'd like to hear from you. Again, 931-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Andrew, fill us in a little bit, if you will, about 
where the religion of Islam came from. There, there's some, there's some sort of commonality. There's some things that, uh, you know, maybe could be argued that the religions share in common. Although I, I, I don't know if that's a fair representation. Give us a little background on the on how this all came to be. I think that uh, a study of a kind of an origin with Islam is is going to be tied very closely uh, to the prophet, uh, their prophet Muhammad, uh, and, and it really goes back with him, uh, back with him into the situation going on uh, in the in the sixth and seventh centuries in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, Muhammad really is an interesting character to to study about and learn, and a very significant character in world history as the fact that there are, to date, one billion Muslims uh, attest to his, his power and his influence. Uh, Muhammad grew up in the town of Mecca uh, in the Arabian Peninsula. He was an orphan child very at a very young age, and he was uh, taken care of by an uncle at the Kaaba. This is the holiest site today in Islam. They make their uh, pilgrimage there once in their lifetime. Well, anyway, the Kaaba was always a, a religious center in the Arabian Peninsula. It was the center of pagan worship. Uh, there was 365 deities there, little idols uh, for just, you know, every day of the year, everything worshipped. And, and the power of Mecca... Uh, was this religious center. It made its uh, money and, and made its livelihood on trading uh, and on religious pilgrimages. There wasn't to be any war there. Well, anyway, this uncle that was raising Muhammad was custodian of this place, and so Muhammad grew up around all of this idolatry and ritual worship. Well, fast forward a few years uh, that he gets to be 25 years old, and as he's 25, he meets a widow named Khadija, who is 50 years his senior. Uh, she has a caravan company that she requires his services or acquires his services to conduct caravans. He's a very good leader. He's a shrewd businessman. Uh, he, he gets the job done. Uh, they're successful in their enterprises, and they marry, and they seem to be very happily married. Uh, Muhammad only had the one wife, only had Khadija as long as she lived. Well, when Muhammad was 40 years old, uh, he had some a bit of ease and means by this time, and he would take a month every year, go up into the mountains outside of uh, Mecca, and he would meditate. And in one of these uh, solitary times, uh, he claimed that the angel Gabriel came to him, uh, appeared to him, he's all alone in a cave, begins choking him and telling him, recite, 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 and he has nothing to say. And he choked him a second time, saying, recite, recite, recite. He has nothing to say. He chokes him a third time. And he coughs up some words. And these are the first words, the first revelation, the first surah of the Quran. Well, as he returns back to town, he relates the uh, event to Khadija. He's very upset. He's afraid that perhaps an evil spirit or a jinn has attacked him, but she is just convinced that, no, it was an angel from Allah, that, it, that you are a true prophet and you need to preach the message uh, that, that Gabriel gives you. And so he begins preaching a very strict monotheism, that there's one God, not he, all of these gods. He had had contact with Jews and Christians and the trade we're caravans. Talking, we're talking 550-something years after Christ. I'm sorry. Yeah, I should do that. He was born in 570 A.D., and the events we're talking about now 
you know, are around 600 A.D., yeah. roughly. Okay. Uh, yeah, around 600 A.D., these things are going on. And in the trade caravans, he did have contact with Jews. Uh, there are several Jewish tribes located in Medina that he would have dealings with later. Uh, many of the Christians that he dealt with, though, are, are really apostate Christians at this time. and is either uh, various Catholic errors, but really more in that region, Gnostic errors. errors. Errors, excuse me. And so he had corrupted, probably he came in contact with corrupted views of Christianity and perhaps interesting ideas about Judaism as well. Well, he garners a following. Now, the word Islam means submission. It doesn't mean peace. It means submission. And, you know, if you give total submission to something, then I guess you will have a kind of peace. Uh, but it would be in that sense that there is peace. A Muslim, then, is one who submits. And so those that were submitting to this message, uh, which was largely about social justice and equitability and one God, they were Muslims. Well, after about three years of preaching, there were only 30 Muslims. But he had sufficiently angered the uh, fathers of the community and the people in charge of the temple worship where their livelihood was that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to assassinate him. And so he fled. He fled to Medina. And once he got to that community, there he was accepted more as a judge, as an arbiter. He was seen as a leader among men. Of course, he continued to tell everyone that he was a prophet and they needed to hear his message. And he began to amass more Muslims. They uh, wreaked some havoc with the Jewish tribes there in Medina. They led raids against the people who lived in Mecca and a little bit of retribution there. Um, so it was a, it was a warring uh, sect from its from very the beginning. beginning. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, that that it was a, a submit to my teaching, or there will be physical militant consequences. And that's the thing when you when you come to the things going on today is that Muhammad sets himself up as the chief paradigm, as the example that all Muslims are supposed to model themselves after. Well, this guy started out as as a as a warring fellow, uh, you know, and and, and militant. And uh, to, to kind of make a long story short, because I know we're running out of time, uh, on this section, um, he raised up an army of 10,000 followers and made his march on Mecca. He was going to besiege the city. And when they found out that he had an army that size, they sent out a truce, and uh, the city came turned over uh, to him. And so they all became Muslims. He marched right into the city, and in the scene is one of his great acts of charity. He didn't take revenge out on the city per se, but he went down to the Kaaba, and he destroyed every single idol, just cleansed it out, and said, from now on, we're only going to worship Allah. You know, uh, I've got some quotes here uh, where Muhammad is held up as the perfect example, and this militancy that we see in modern-day Islam it traces its roots right to him because it says, the prophethood of Muhammad obliges Muslims to follow his exemplary life in every respect. The life of the prophet Muhammad provides a perfect example for achieving success and salvation. The law of God set down in the Quran and exemplified in the life of the prophet is supreme in all cases. And so, you know, that gives some insights as to the militancy of this religion. It, it has its very origins in Muhammad himself. It gives insights to the militancy. It gives insights to uh, the culture that gets reproduced in countries that become uh, Muslim and and submit to Sharia law as far as the dress codes, as far as as, uh, clean and unclean foods and all these kinds of things. As Muhammad would preach, uh, what, uh, what he spoke was considered to be the word of Allah. And these things were written on little bits of bone, shards of leaf and papyrus. Uh, it, it wasn't till 
until uh, sometime after his death that all of it was collected by the third caliph and written down uh, into one sort of authorized form, and all of the other texts and, and uh, original materials were burned. Uh, Muslims take a lot of pride in the fact that there is only one Koran. Uh, and there's a little bit of confusion there when they look at Bibles and, and, and they have kind of the mistaken idea sometimes that, uh, you know, that we all have just completely different Bibles when they see a King James, a New American Standard in NIV. Well, they think those are all total Bibles or totally different Bibles. Somebody was trying to tell me that uh, uh, the Muslims claim that you can't get a real handle on their religion unless you read the Quran in Arabic. That's true, and that is a defense uh, that has uh, been suggested by Muslim apologists, that to know the truth, it needs to be read in Arabic and understood in Arabic, uh, that it was revealed in Arabic, and it really isn't supposed to be translated. Uh, even to this day, there's not an official translation of an Arabic Quran into any other language. This doesn't mean that the translations aren't made. There are a number of good English translations, but nothing that, that, uh, that Muslims will... Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Stand behind. What about... No, and and about, by the way on yeah. that, it's a smaller and smaller percentage of Muslims that can read and speak Arabic. You know, the, the largest majority populous Muslim, is, they're not Arabs. There's a lot of Arabs, but it's actually more in Malaysia. Yeah. And those people don't read and speak Arabic. They, they, they just have to receive what they're taught uh, and, and, and trust their teachers that they're being taught the truth. Yeah. What about... The commonality, they claim they serve the same God that the Christians do, that they believe in Jesus Christ as a prophet of God. And and so what about that part of the commonality? Uh, and we've got an email question that relates to that, but give us a little background on that, if you will, Andrew. Well, I tell you, that's not just something coming, that's not just something coming from Muslim apologists. There was a letter to the editor in the Tennessean last year that said, uh, he was writing in response to an article. He said, uh, Mr. Slauson should study Islam and its relationship to Christianity. Muslims worship the same God that Christians and Jews do. They just have a different name for him. Allah is the Arabic word that translates into the God. The difference is that Muslims do not deify Jesus Christ. Uh, it goes on a little bit more from there. And, well, that in and of itself is a very large difference. I'm going to suggest to you that the difference between Allah and Jehovah is far more than semantics. You know, I, I wouldn't argue that um, Allah means the God. Okay, it does. But when people talk about Allah, he is a significantly different God than Jehovah or Yahweh we read about in the Bible. His attributes are different. You know, the God we know in the Bible is the God who loves his enemies. And the God of the Koran does not. He hates his enemies. In Surah 3, verse 31 and 32, say, If you love Allah, then follow me, that Allah may love you and forgive your faults. For Allah is forgiving and kind. Say, Obey Allah and his messenger. That's Muhammad. And if they refuse, then remember, Allah does not love disbelievers. A God that does not love disbelievers, a God that does not love sinners, that's a different God. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us when we were sinners, but this God of, of Islam does not. You don't have his love until you hear the prophet and become a Muslim. I, I think about the teaching of Jesus in, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells his followers to love their enemies. And in loving their enemies, they shall be perfect like the Father in heaven is perfect. 
And this is a significant difference. These are different gods. The God of the Bible is one who is relational and relatable. The one in uh, the Quran is, is non-relation, uh, non-relational. Uh, for instance, in Surah 5, verse 18, Say the Jews and the Christians, We are sons of God and beloved of him. Say, why does he punish you then for your sins? No, you are only mortals of his creation. He can punish whom he please and pardon whom he will. For God's is the kingdom of the heaven and the earth and all that lies between them. And everything will go back to him. Allah is always removed. Allah is always transcendent. And and it is improper for anyone to say that they have a close relationship with him. And yet John said, 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God. This is a significant difference. Yeah. So there's a real difference. They claim it's the same God. There's, I mean, uh, and it probably could enumerate dozens. Several of, things on that. Uh, but those really, I think those really make the point quickly that it's beyond just a difference in words. You look at attributes. You look at nature. These are different gods. And what about Jesus Christ? What are they saying about Jesus Christ? Well, when we talk about Jesus Christ and, and uh, you know, Muslims say, well, we believe in Jesus, we believe in Jesus too. It's a completely revised Jesus. Uh, he is not the Son of God. He is created by God, a word spoken. Um, they deny that there is a resurrection because they deny that Jesus ever died. There's no concept of, of sacrificial love uh, in Islam. If you die, then you then you lose. You know, it's it's it's... It's very much what Jesus was talking about with his disciples when he said, you know how the Gentiles are with who is the greatest with authority and they lord it over them. This is very much the picture of Islam. The leader lords it over the followers. We can talk more about that. I, I got a couple of quotes here real quick. We'll go to break. Jacob, uh, uh, Muslims say those who say the Lord of mercy has begotten a son preach a monstrous falsehood. Jesus was no more than a mortal whom we favored and made an example to the Israelites. So they don't believe that Jesus, they claim to believe in Jesus, but they believe he was a prophet or a spokesman of God, but not the only begotten son of God. He is a prophet, he is apostle, he is not the son of God, and he is not God the son. He did not die on the cross, and he was not resurrected. It guts Christianity, their view, their revision of Jesus. We're talking with Andrew Roberts. His book is Night and Day, a comparative study of Islam and Christianity, available at spiritbuilding.com. We're going to take a break, but we'd like to hear from you during the break. Give us a call at 931-381-4567 with any question or comment or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com stay tuned we'll be right back after this after these important messages we'll be back to take your comments email them during this break hello everyone i'm wade shelton a member of the college view church of christ if you're like me you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the church of christ is all about well, regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. 
Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight, and we hope you'll stay tuned, and we hope you'll participate in the discussion as we talk with Andrew Roberts about uh, the Muslim religion. The number to call is 931-381-4567. Email us a question or comment to questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the virtual Bible study tonight. Jacob, we've got a couple of emails we want to deal with here because they kind of tie into the things that Andrew has been talking with us about here in recent, just in the last few moments. I've uh, uh, got an email from Wade in Mount Pleasant. Wade, we're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. He says, my question would be in quotes such as where the Quran says that Jesus is a prophet and should be obeyed. But Jesus says not to kill. How would they say that would be following the Quran fundamentally? In other words, if, if they acknowledge Jesus taught truth from God and yet that truth contradicts the Quran, uh, is, is there a, some kind of a uh, direct... Uh, sort of contradiction there yeah there there is there's a direct contradiction there uh, there's a number of contradictions and it really has to do with the way that muslims view the bible as well as the quran probably the best uh, best place to start with this is with the understanding that uh, the basic proposition of islam on the bible is that allah gave it allah gave the bible allah had a first chosen people it was the jews and so allah revealed his word through prophets to the jews the jews did not keep Islam. The idea is that Allah always reveals Islam. Instead, they corrupted it. They turned it into something else. And so a different group of people were selected, and these are called Christians. And it's a peculiar thing to me in reading the Quran that Christians are spoken of as a race, as opposed to a body open to all races and universal, but it's the same kind of idea. Uh, now it's coming through Jesus, and he's this apostle to Christians, and they're being given Islam. They corrupted it. They polluted it. And so then 600 years later, he has a third people. Now it's the Arabs, and it's through Muhammad. Uh, but it, uh, it's supposed to stop there. The final revelation they, they is now. They the finally Quran. got it right. They finally got it right the third time, and and so uh, the Quran supersedes anything else. When they see um, discrepancies, contradictions between what the Bible teaches, for instance, about loving your enemies and things that uh, Muhammad said, well, then Muhammad was correcting whatever pollution, whatever um, you know, corruption was there. You know, it, it's a shame that people would corrupt a book with such high ideals. Isn't that peculiar? Yeah. Dirty corruptors to put in something like love your enemies. <laughs> here's the um, here's the. Um, Doctrine, if you will, that allows all this to happen, and the word is is abrogation. There are contradictions, obviously, between Islam and Christianity. There are contradictions within the Quran itself. Muhammad would say one thing at one time. He would say something at another. It came piecemeal over 23 years. It didn't always line up. From time to time, these things were brought to Muhammad's attention, and Allah gave some revelations to straighten it out. Surah 2, verse 106. When we cancel a message sent to an earlier prophet or to throw it into oblivion, we replace it with one better or one similar. Do you not know that God has power over all things? And so here Allah says, I just cancel my word out. I may have said, for instance, love your enemies through a prophet named Jesus. I'm saying something different now. Listen to what I've said lately. This is very shifty. This is very convenient. Uh, and that's evidently, how they, that's how they would answer that. In other words, we're, we're, if we say your God's not the same as our God, 
because our God has taught us differently than what's taught in the Quran. They would say, well, no, he 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 suspended that and he's and he's taught something different. That would that would be the that would be the way it, it yeah. is said. Um, you know, another one, Surah 16, verse 101. When we replace a message with another and God knows best what he reveals, they say you have made it up. Yet most of them do not know. So here, apparently, some people were calling Muhammad on some of this stuff. And uh, and all of, you know backed him up very conveniently at this time, and the people were saying you've made it up. <laughs> but his answer is, well, you don't know. Yeah, we got an email from Don in Nashville. He says, uh, when unlearned people say things like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we tell them that Jesus taught turn the other cheek. In other words, when people who claim to be Christians right. argue an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we say that's that's not accurate. That's not an accurate application of what the bible teaches he says my question is if those of the islam faith say that some of the things you have mentioned about the quran no longer apply in other words does the quran have old and new teachings mm-hmm. no in other words we've we've given some quotes wherein they teach militancy and sure. kill your enemies and all that what is, is there any indication that that muslims would say well you that's what that's what some have taught but that's not accurate or Oh yeah, I mean uh, that that goes on all the time, and you need to go back and need to go by and, and read it again or understand it in a different way. Uh, I think particularly Muslims in the West uh, look at varying uh, interpretations of these verses, other than literal literal interpretations, uh, and and say that well, you know, verses about militancy are really about an inward struggle uh, and those kinds of things. But you know, it's a tricky thing to uh, read the Quran and to decipher. Um, for anyone and for the Muslim scholars and apologists as well to decipher, well, what canceled out what? Yeah. What what was it that was written recently? I, and you may or may not know this, but when you come to the Quran, it's not assembled in chronological order. It's assembled from longest to shortest. Now, as Muhammad became more established, his revelations became a little bit longer. And so they appear, these surahs appear in probably almost exactly opposite chronological order. Um, and so, you know, you're going through reading here and you're saying, well, the longest ones are in the beginning and those are things that are true. Well, read the first two chapters, read the first two surahs and, and you will find plenty of militants that has not been abrogated or spoken or struck down anywhere. Uh, a fellow by the name of Don Richardson wrote a book called Secrets of the Koran. Uh, and in his study, he produced 109 war verses, 109 verses in the Quran that enjoin war and militancy that have not been uh, spoken down, abrogated, addressed in any way. Uh, and so people that say it's just a very hard case to make and say that this has been set aside by that, um, it's a very hard case to make. The number calls 931-381-4567. Jump on the phone. Let us know your thoughts. Or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We want to hear from you on the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, just some other quotes from the Quran, Andrew, that I had written down. The unbelievers, meaning Christians and Jews, are your sworn enemies. Another, mm-hmm. unbelievers are those who declare Allah is the Messiah, the son of Mary. And uh, uh, it urges believers, take neither Jews nor Christians for your friends. Whosoever you seeks their friendship shall become one of their number. So there's there's no there's no uh, sort of compromising on this. There's no way that we can say. Uh, you know, of course, I, you know, coming from our perspective, 
we're not trying to enter into a religious fellowship with these people either. I mean, we, we right. don't believe that we could. Uh, they don't believe in they don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Therefore, we would we would have to try to teach them that truth and bring them to that uh, realization for their salvation. But they're not they're not looking to be in fellowship with us. We obviously would not feel conscientiously that we could be in fellowship with them. Well, I, I think even beyond, though, um, in terms of, of could we hold hands together and pray or, or in a worship service, I mean, what you just read really spoke uh, against the idea of of friendship and discourse and dialogue with these people, you know, with these people of the book. And, and, and to me, I, I kind of scratch my head a little bit at that. You know, if it is the truth, if it is the word of God, you know, that you're supposed to spread to to everyone, then you have to be able to talk to people about it and build those kinds of relationships. Um, you know, what 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 is being uh, how do I say this right? I'm not going to say it right. What, uh, what 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 is the fear of befriending a Jew or a Christian? What is the fear of having open examination of the Koran, of the Bible with a Jew or with a Christian? You know, I, my pitch is quite simply this for someone that wants to learn about these things. Go get a Koran. It'd be great if you want to get my book. That'd be swell. But go get a Koran. You can get them anywhere. Just read the first two surahs. Just read the first two chapters. I want to go back to something you were saying a minute ago. The argument that you call it uh, the, the doctrine of abrogation. Abrogation. So, you, you know, Allah could say, well, this is what I, I did say that. But now I've suspended that and I've replaced it with this. So would that be their explanation about the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus Christ? In other words, that was from God. I suppose they teach that it has been somewhat corrupted, but that was the teaching from God. And it was superseded or or suspended and put in place the Koran instead. Would that be accurate? When you go back and read the Koran, you'll see that um, Muhammad had an awful lot to say about some people that will sound familiar to you. Now, he retells the flood story and talks about Noah a couple times. He talks about Abraham and, um, you know, a lot of uh, Jacob and Isaac and Ishmael, although Ishmael has a much greater place of prominence. Um, and, and, but, but all of these people are, are revised. The story is very different. And, you know, I guess there's two ways you can look at that. If you have the Bible here, you can say, well, this, this fellow was talking about something. He didn't seem to know all about it. Or the other view is, well, he's, Correcting everything. Boy, look how blown up uh, that got with its detail and its uh, high and lofty themes and doctrines. Uh, he retells the Passover, the, the Exodus story, around 30 times in the Koran. Never once does he actually mention Passover, the most important part of the account, the, the last plague. It's not mentioned at all. There is no concept of substitutionary death and a sacrifice system in Islam. So you, you don't set up uh, a perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. You know, they, they just take all that out of it. Yeah. Um, what, what's the method then for, for dealing with their sins? How do they how do they deal with their sins? You save yourself. Um, and, it, and it's quite as simple as that. The uh, Quran teaches that your good deeds uh, nullify your bad deeds. 
Um, I've got that jot, jotted down here. But the idea is that you, you do bad things in your life, and they weigh so much on the scales of Allah. Allah. You do good deeds in your life, and they weigh so much on the scales of so Allah. So these, these suicide bombers, I guess, are some of the worst in their society, really trying to make up for, for their past? Uh, no, I'll tell you what. When you find yourself in a system uh, where you have to do more good than bad, you don't have any hope. I mean... I, I don't know. I, I sure wouldn't have any hope if I have to. If I have to consider every evil thing I've ever done and make sure I do but, more. But, one, but this this jihad, this holy war, and and to be a martyr in the holy war, is it true as we've been told that they claim that this is the highest act of devotion to Allah and that you'll get your virgins in heaven? It so is. On. It is the one act that assures a place in paradise. If you're not one of the jihad warriors, then you're going to go to the scales, and you're going to find out if you did more good or did more bad in your life. But if you're a jihad warrior and you die in that cause, then you don't have to, you don't have, to have your good weight against your bad. Yeah. Oh, so. Surah so, uh, 11, verse 114 says, Remember that good deeds nullify the bad. And, and you know, to me... <laughs> Lots of different ideas are kind of being put on, you know, why are these guys running into restaurants with bombs on them? Uh, and a lot of different ideas. But, you know, when you read the Quran, you can say, well, I could either live all my life and hope I've done more good than bad and hope that's good enough. Or I can run in here and know when I open up my eyes, I'll be in paradise. What would you do? What would you do? <laughs> yeah. Here is assurance. And, and, and how, um, how unsettling is that? That in this religion, hope is found in suicide. That's, that's that wild. Isn't, that's really wild. The number to call is 931-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. If you have any questions about the Muslim religion, now's the time. Jump on. We're going to take one more break, and then we'll continue right after this. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. I'm Troy Smith, and now I'm 13 years old. I'm Mike Smith. I'm Troy's dad, and we love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you again for joining us. We encourage you to join us every Thursday night at 8 o'clock for the Virtual Bible Study. We want to hear from you at 931-381-4567 or email us questions at collegeview.com. I wish talking with Andrew Roberts, who's done a good bit of study of the religion of Islam. We really appreciate his expertise and for him sharing that with us tonight on the virtual Bible study. If you've got some question, I think lots of us have lots of questions about Islam. It's something that, you know, 50 years ago, people might not have even paid much attention to or thought much about. But in the present world, it's certainly 
necessary for us to have a working knowledge of the things that are being taught by the Muslims, and Andrew's really helping us with that. Let me ask you something, Andrew. Uh, how would we deal with, now, see if I'm accurately representing this. So the, Mus- the Muslim's going to tell me, you you are actually you are actually one system behind. You need to give up that Christianity because that was God's way of dealing with His select people at a time, mm-hmm. and then about six hundred years after Christ, that changed. And now you're supposed to be serving Allah, following the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, the last and greatest prophet. Right. Um, uh, what 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 will we do? What are we going to do with that? Uh, as Christians, how do we answer that? It's a great, uh, it's a great question, and I guess uh, one that we'll all be uh, working on and developing some strategies with it. You know, I, I think one of the places to begin is with is with the Bible, and you know, I, I think that's really where we begin with anyone that we try to um, evangelize and teach about the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, kind of the the interesting place perhaps to begin is with the idea. Well. Allah, according to you, revealed this book. Here it is. Let's see what it says. Not only does the Quran teach that Allah revealed the Bible, but the Quran also says that the Bible foretells Muhammad. There's reason to go back and look into this book if you're a Muslim. Um, now, um, trying to set a, a person at ease with a willingness to do that uh, could be a challenge. I think one of the things we have to be careful about is not creating needless obstacles uh, to be um, needlessly difficult. There are some sensitivities we need to be aware of. Yeah. Here's, here's uh, I'm sort of developing this line of thinking as you're teaching us here tonight. But Okay, so God did deal with the Jews as his chosen people. And he gave them a law. Mm-hmm. But we say that system was abrogated and Christianity took its place. In other words, we, the law of Moses has been made of none effect, Colossians two fourteen through 16. And so now we worship uh, God through Jesus Christ and according to his will revealed in the New Testament. So we, we, we say there was a former system that has been replaced by another. Now the Muslims are saying... We'll just take that one step further. The, the Christian system has been abrogated and, and the religion of Islam is, is now. So, you know, I think that, that's exactly the way that I think uh, our, our Muslim friends would like us to line this out. Uh, when I talk about abrogation, and I probably should define the word, it, it really means to be nullified, to be set aside, as we read into the Quran, to be tossed into oblivion. And so as I'm talking about this, um, you know, in this context of Islam and their view of the Bible, I don't see that as exactly the same thing as what happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What I see here is fulfillment. Uh, in That's the what, Old Testament, there is a foretelling of a new covenant. Exactly. In the Old Testament, there's, there's the types and shadows that are fulfilled. And so I That's don't see difference. abrogation. That's the difference. See, that's how we've got to be prepared to explain. The Old Testament actually foretold its end. Exactly. And, uh, but, the, but the New Testament did not. Uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So we would agree the Old Testament system for the Jews was 
fulfilled its purpose and was ended at the cross of Christ. But by its own prediction, this is what happened. But the law of Christ never predicted its own end, never said it would be superseded by anything else. And the fact that anybody who taught otherwise was to be viewed as accursed. Even an angel. Even an angel, which supposedly told Muhammad that he was to do yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's the difference. I mean, they would like us to say, well, just take it step by step and you'll come to Islam. That's We're right. saying, well, we'll take the first step from the law of Moses to the law of Christ. But we've got to stop there because the Bible tells us to stop there. I think about the words of Jesus in John 10 when he just makes the statement, and the scripture cannot be broken. And that's the answer to this idea of abrogation. That's the answer to this system where Allah can take and choose and give and take and rewrite and revise. Well, that's not the way it was with the God of the Bible. Scripture can't be broken. Okay. What do we need to do? You know, I, I, I think more of us, I, I think probably the general, the first general idea that people have is we got to be, we got to be on the defensive against these Muslims. But actually, as Christians, what we should be interested in is actually converting these Muslims. That's to, exactly right. What, what do you think would be some of the important things to do? What, what would be some of the things that we'd have to overcome, be able to teach, be prepared to, to uh, instruct them about? I might be uh, out of bounds here, but I think the first obstacle we have to overcome is our own fear. Uh, you know, really, you, you see these things happening on the news, the world away, and then you find out about uh, a larger number of Muslim population here. And we think, well, is this moving into my backyard? I'll tell you, Muslims, yes, uh, adherents of the religion of Islam are moving into your backyard. It doesn't mean that they're going to become militant necessarily, as we see in those places. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but it's it's time to take some courage and I tell you, the, the number one way to overcome any fear is to find out all about it. Learn all about it. I, I, I tell people, just go ahead and read the Koran. I have no fear that I am creating Muslims by telling people to go and read the Koran for themselves. Read the first two chapters of the Koran and come back and, and read the first two chapters of, of the New Testament, or even the first two chapters of the Old Testament, Genesis. And let's talk about those things. And you will see it for yourself. I guarantee you will see it for yourself. You don't have to read any further than that. I think we have to have an awareness as far as, as uh, learning all about it. And I was beginning to talk about this a moment ago about uh, not being, not creating any needless difficulty. Uh, I said there are some sensitivities to be aware of. In this system that Muhammad brought, he brought back some of the um, trappings of the old law. Uh, Law of Moses, I really think that's where he got it. There's dietary regulations. There's a clean food. There's unclean food. You can't eat pork. You know, I, I had the uh, opportunity to be at a local civic club here a couple of years ago to hear a Muslim keynote speaker. And this civic club thought they were pulling out all the stops, but they served sausage and crowd at the buffet. <laughs> this, it wasn't malicious it at all. Uninformed. It was uninformed. It was uninformed. And the man was extremely gracious. And afterwards, he and I went and uh, and got a steak and had a talk, uh, you know, and, and that was a good thing. But, you know, things like that slam a door, you know, before you even get your foot in. 
and and it's not mean, it's not malicious, but there can be needless affronts. I don't know. I might be offended too if they serve sausage and crown. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could at least have pork barbecue if they're going to do something like that. I'd say one of the things to keep in mind is that Muslims greatly revere their book, the Quran. Greatly revere it. Well, we've heard, you know, like it doesn't touch the ground. Yeah, and you know, they, they were they, they, there was this outrage over supposedly some of our soldiers flushing the Quran down a toilet in Guantanamo, uh, Cuba. But you know, that, they do have that kind of reverence for their book therefore there's no reason for us to be purposefully uh, disrespectful in, in areas such as that even think about how you handle your own bible uh you know you, you kind of think about appearances but if you're talking to someone who keeps their holy book on the highest shelf in the house because it is esteemed and you walk in and you slap yours down on the floor or, uh, you know, it's the two-tone Bible because it's always sat in the back seat of your car. And, you know, yeah. we, we get really hard on our Bibles because we don't think of them, you know, as holy, really sacred in that way. The, the message is sacred. Don't misunderstand me. But the book itself, we wear one out and we go buy another one. It's not that way with the Koran. But you'd be slapping around holy books. And in their eyes, uh, it it's not sacred, it kind of reinforces this um, presupposition that the Bible is flawed. They don't even respect their Bible. Yeah. So just some common sense things would be necessary. I think so. I think a, a, a courage and a kindness and a, a little common sense, a little background information about it, and, and we'll have as good a chance talking and teaching them as anyone else. Okay. And then we're going to have to show them that the New Testament says it's a, a law never to be suspended or superseded or ended it's uh, it, it is the universal uh truth the universal system it was designed to be that way like i said when you read about christianity and the quran it's like they're talking about a particular race and and i think one of the things to show is no it's for everybody it is for arabs it is for malaysians it's for everybody one and another thing i think and, and you've given me an insight i didn't have before here andrew one of the problems we're going to have when we try to say you've got to believe in Jesus if you're going to be saved, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. They're going to, they're, their doctrine is going to be to say that was so when it was said, but now it's not. Not only that, but that is the greatest, the unforgivable sin in the religion of Islam, according to the Koran, to associate anyone or anything with Allah. Uh, Surah 4, verse 48, God does not forgive that compeers, that's companions, peers, equal, be ascribed to him, though he may forgive aught else if he please. And he who ascribes compeers to God is guilty of the greatest sin. You confess Jesus Christ is a son of God and you have damned yourself in Islam. You deny Jesus Christ is a son of God and you will be judged in Christianity. Jesus and the confession of Christ is the stumbling block. And, you know, people can talk about, well, there's, you know, moral high ground here. There's good works to the poor here. There's places where Muslims and Christians can get together. Eh, kind of. But the thing is, what makes me a Christian condemns me in the eyes of Muslims. And what makes them Muslim uh, it concerns me for the, for the sake of their soul. So they, they're, they're never going to say, well, the, Jesus was once the way to God, but he's not anymore. They, don't, they won't accept that argue, line of argument. No, the, the, he is an apostle. He is a prophet. That, that's what he is. All right. Well, Andrew, you've given us a lot of great information about the religion of Islam, what the Muslims believe. Uh, your book, again, is Night and Day. 
a comparative study of Christianity and Islam, and it's available at spiritbuilding.com, www.spiritbuilding.com. I haven't seen, I haven't studied it yet, but I intend to do so, and it looks like a really good book. Uh, it's suitable for class-type study. As a matter of fact, That's yeah. really the way it's designed, and so it would be a valuable study for all Christians to get into that and learn. I think you'll learn about Islam, but Andrew, I think you'll also learn about the superiority of Christ in Absolutely. that study. Absolutely. All right, great. Thanks for joining us tonight, Andrew. Thank you. All right, and thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our discussion tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.